the way, way in the back corner. That's Tess waving your hand. And uh, in case I forget it, to forget to say it later on, any virtues that the Wisconsin Longitudinal Study has are at least as much hers as mine because she's worked with me on it for the last 39 years, uh, really running the study while I write research proposals. Um, the um, but we'll get to that in a while. And I do have a collaborator, you'll notice, on this one, Alberto Poloni. He's a very distinguished demographer, uh, and his part in it, uh, in this enterprise, so far has been to write the code for various uh, demographic models I'm going to tell you about later on, and, um, and to tell me that everything I'm doing is wrong. Uh, so I've already had one very serious critic, and, um, and I welcome others. I'm, I've I'm, I'm, I'm already immunized. Um, so I started working on things related to IQ, to intelligence, in the mid to late 1990s, um, uh, basically in the wake of the, uh, the hideous book that was written by Herrnstein and Murray, The, the Bell Curve. Um, and uh, so I wrote a, several pieces about that then, and I still actually haven't gotten the, my fill of that. And then I, I wrote a, book, a paper that actually was... Uh, uh, was given at the uh, at the meeting of the ISA Research Committee in Beijing uh, last May. Uh, Yanni was uh, the uh, the discussant of the paper then, um, and Wing was there. I don't know if anybody else was who was here was at that meeting. Uh, I'm not going to repeat much of it anyway. Um, but I was really interested in beauty and bulges. That is to say, we have ratings of the facial attractiveness and facial mass of uh, these high school graduates that Wing mentioned uh, way back when they were seniors in high school. And so I was concerned to figure out their, the consequences uh, of that. And I thought I'd have to put um, uh, IQ measures into the equations anyway, uh, and, it, and some other academic achievement stuff. So it, I. I sort of accidentally fell into the line of work that I'm going to describe to you today uh, when it turned out that one of the variables uh, uh, that I didn't really expect to show up showed up uh, rather strongly uh, in, a, in an equation, a logistic, simple logistic regression of survival uh, to age 70. Um, and then I've been following uh, with some interest um, work that's mainly associated with a sociologist and epidemiologist at Columbia University, Bruce Link, um, who has, oh, it says A-V, terrific. Um, uh, that's typical American English. Um, the, uh, it's, it's supposed to be A. What is a fundamental cause of differential mortality? Um, uh, and and uh, there's more than one fundamental cause in the sense in which Bruce Link talks about it. But in the case of socioeconomic status, which is the main thing he dwells on, the other one is race ethnicity, um, the notion is that societies are organized so that it always makes a difference. The specific mechanisms by which socioeconomic status affects chances for life or death will vary from time to time and place to place, but the argument is that no matter what else goes on, society is always organized to create such differentials. Uh, and for example, is it the Black Report here uh, uh, from some years ago, which showed that in spite of the, uh, uh, the National Health Service been in being in place for many, many years, there's still a, a gradient in mortality by socioeconomic status. You can't seem to make that go away. Other things happen. That's the idea of a fundamental cause. And then we have this person, um, 
kind of a disruptive person. Um, uh, Linda Gottfriedson, uh, who wrote uh, uh, Intelligence, is it the epidemiologist elusive fundamental cause of social class inequalities in health? It, in that uh, phrase, is, is, uh, is intelligence. Uh, and her notion is that intelligence uh, affects um, uh, what we see, or may, let us say, affect what we see in terms of socioeconomic differentials in mortality. This is how social inequality gets into the storyline uh, by way uh, uh, of these things. But it's really intelligence at its root that's responsible for this. Uh, uh, and I'll say much more about that as I go along. And then there are a couple of uh, fellows from Scotland, uh, Ian Deary and David Batty, if I remember their first names correctly, uh, who just have an enormous, created an enormous body of literature in recent times, mostly published uh, in the uh, Journal of Epidemiology and Community Health, which I think is a, one of the uh, pieces of uh, BMJ, the BMJ Enterprise, British Medical Journal. Um, developing the new field of cognitive epidemiology, which is all about how IQ affects everything uh, in terms of in, in everything in health. Uh, and I'll say more about that as I go along, too. Um, so what do we know? Um, uh, if you put together, there are, some, there are now some 70 or 80 citations um, that, uh, that, I've, uh, that I've been able to find in this, in this line of work of cognitive epidemiology. And this is the main finding um, uh, in, in those studies. Um, there's, there's actually somewhat more to it. Um, IQ is associated with uh, the occurrence of accidents. Uh, IQ is associated in an interesting way with quitting smoking. That is to say, in cohorts where practically everybody smoked, uh, the people who quit first are the ones with higher IQs. Okay. Um, uh, IQ, and this is an interesting one, uh, actually, and, and, uh, and uh, perhaps more justifiably biological, if you will, than some of the others, uh, is that there are now four, something like four independent studies, all of which show that women with higher IQs have longer waiting times to natural menopause. Um, and that no one, to my knowledge, has come up with a good explanation of that of that one as yet. It's not HRT, folks. Um, uh, uh, IQ is associated negatively with the occurrence of some some diseases, with cardiovascular disease and hypertension, with some cancers, uh, and with and and in, then in other diseases, it's there is no association. There is very little evidence, at least in this literature, that social background accounts for IQ differentials in mortality. Um, and there is mixed evidence, sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes partial, to the effect that the effects of IQ, this is IQ early in life, uh, are associated, uh, are mediated by education or other measures of social and economic success. And then this literature has also given rise to endless speculation, and I will give you a couple of examples. This is from something fairly early in the series. Uh, this is the lead sentence in uh, Deary's uh, Hans Eysenck Memorial Lecture on the new field of cognitive epidemiology. Quote, whether you live to collect your old age pension depends in part on your IQ at age 11. You just can't keep a good predictor down. Um, and here's one's a little longer. 
uh, uh, this is the closing line of another article. Given their inherently complex and sometimes conflicting nature, healthcare messages, treatment regimens, and preventative strategies perhaps surpass the cognitive abilities of some people. If this is the case, and bearing in mind that oversimplification of advice might reduce, reduce effectiveness substantially, proactive involvement of healthcare providers is warranted to reduce health inequalities attributable to differences in cognitive ability. Now, as you think about something like that, there are circumstances under which it might be more or less true. Uh, the condition under which it might be more true is if you're talking about cognitive functioning among the elderly. Cognitive functioning among the elderly is very well established to be related to uh, uh, early demise. But the problem is that declining cognitive functioning of the elderly is, a, is indeed an indicator of declining health. So what I'm talking about mainly here is what happens if you have an early life measure of, 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 uh, of uh, cognitive functioning. Uh, how is that related to later health? Uh, uh, this literature, uh, and this is just one of any number of several versions of the same thing I might, have, I might throw at you. Um, uh, suggests four different uh, mechanisms for the association between IQ and, uh, and health. Uh, the first is that it's just associated with uh, socioeconomic success. It's associated with more education, with professional occupations. You get into healthier environments. Uh, you have all sorts of, uh, of um, prompts uh, to take care of yourself, and therefore uh, you do better. Uh, notice that this is all post or either these are, this all refers to things that occur at the completion of education or thereafter. Okay? Uh, second, in general, people with higher intelligence might engage in more healthy behaviors. Um, and that's a, that's a, key, uh, a key one. Uh, I actually think that one's true, but in a, only in a limited sense. Uh, the third is that mental test scores from early life might act as a record of insults to the brain that have occurred before that date. Uh, so the, this sort of refers back, reverts back to the, the, uh, the, the very well-known Barker hypothesis uh, and, and other things having to do with, with literally life in the womb before you're born, uh, as well as very early uh, uh, experiences in infancy that might affect mental development and therefore um, uh, uh, later behaviors. Fourth, um, this is uh, the term that's, they, they use the term uh, system integrity. Mental test scores obtained in youth might be an indicator of a well put together system. That is to say, it's not cognition per se, it's just that uh, having high intelligence is just a sign in general of, of, of uh, physiological well being and therefore is associated with, uh, with, uh, with uh, longer life. And if, if you think this is, uh, by the way, this is kind of a silly subject and off the wall, this is from an editorial that appeared in Nature just last year. This stuff is being taken rather seriously. So, okay, enough of background. Now about the, more background about the Wisconsin Longitudinal Study. Uh, we have... Something is beeping, but I have no clue what it is. Oh, it's probably this. Thank you. Um, you can listen to it beep. 
Um, okay, about the Wisconsin longitudinal study. Um, uh, this is these are public longitudinal survey data uh, based on a one-third random sample of Wisconsin high school graduates of 1957. Uh, we have followed them from ages 18 to the present time. It says six, approximately 69 and beyond. Actually, we are just now taking, in order to be here, uh, Tess and I uh, broke free from our constant email correspondence with uh, field staff uh, who are uh, in the midst of uh, uh, pre-testing for our first ever home interviews with these folks, which will take place beginning about six months from now. Uh, and we're doing home interviews for the first time for several reasons, one of which is we got the money. Uh, but more important, we're doing it because they've gotten to the stage where hearing is not so great. They're going to be about 71 years old. Uh, hearing is not so great, so interviewing in person will be better. Um, and uh, we're also doing a bunch of uh, performance tests and anthropometric measurements and, uh, and more uh, assays of cognitive functioning in ways that couldn't possibly be done over the phone or by mail or any of the other modes we've used in the past. Um, this, the study covers approximately 70 to 75 percent of appropriately aged youth in the state of Wisconsin. That is to say, at the time uh, this study began, about 70 to 75 percent of Wisconsin youth might have shown up in a sample of, uh, of high school graduates. Uh, we have survey data over the years from a number of respondents. That's basically irrelevant here, but they include the graduates, their parents, uh, their large numbers of their siblings, and the spouses of graduates and siblings. Uh, we have a lot of administrative record data, and we have information about lots of things about people's lives. The hardest question I ever get asked is, what is the study about? Because I can't answer it. Uh, it's about everything. Uh, we have high response rates. Uh, but these people are, it is not a diverse, a diverse population in terms of race, ethnicity, as well as educational attainment. Um, they're rather, they're all high school graduates and they're almost entirely non-Hispanic whites. That makes them about like two, like about two thirds of Americans in their age group. Uh, but it certainly is not like everybody, and that's what happens when you follow people for 50 years. They don't represent the young population now. It's just inherent when you've got a changing population base. Um, okay, so what are we going to do use in terms of data today? We have some very good measures of social background, although, although it only turns out that I'm going to use a couple of those. Uh, namely, um, uh, we have uh, parents' incomes averaged over the four years the students were most like the graduates were most likely to have attended college, from 1957 to 1960, obtained from the from uh, basically from their federal tax returns, uh, but through the state uh, tax system. Uh, we also have, I'm, I'm going to use just one more measure, we have lots of other things, moms and dads, education, occupations, number of siblings and so forth, but for these present purposes, these two measures I'm going to mention basically capture everything uh, that we can get from the whole array of background measures and I'm trying to keep it simple. Um, the second measure that we're using is a simple dichotomy. Was your father a farmer? About 20% of the sample had farm fathers. Uh, and the other 80% were either rural, non-farm, or urban in origin. Uh, then we have uh, uh, the Henman-Nelson test of mental ability. That was given to these uh, kids in their junior year of high school. That means when they were about 17, 16 or 17 years old. That's uh, grade 11 
in our system uh, of 12 before high school graduation. Um, uh, and that's a test that was given in high, Wisconsin high schools uh, continuously between around 1930 and 1972. Uh, and it was initially used not uh, basically as a scheme to permit colleges to recruit high scoring students who would not otherwise have thought of applying to or attending college. So it was a kind of a pro-social use of these, this IQ test uh, originally. Uh, then we have high school rank, that is to say rank in terms of average grades in their own school, so it's specific to each school. Uh, um, and so this is a, basically a measure of school grades, uh, not of academic achievement as such. In fact, there is no measure of academic achievement in the strict sense here. It's either IQ, general mental ability, or it's uh, grades in school. Uh, and educational attainment, which will enter the story only peripherally here. Then we have survival to 2009. We know when almost all of these people died, 1,603 died, 8,700 living, only 13 cases for whom survival status is unknown. We've done very, very well at tracing people over the years. Uh, this is not, by the way, a measure of survey response, but a measure of our ability to find people somehow. Uh, we've got, and then there are some variables I've uh, indicated down there that are in italics that we're not really using right now, but uh, expect to get into later on, occupation, income, wealth, and various indicators of risk, uh, both positive and negative, and self-care. And I'll tell you why we've gotten into that later on, or why we should get into that later on. There's missing data. There's some missing data on the various social background and academic achievement variables. Not on IQ, by the way. That's universal. Uh, but there's some missing data on high school rank. There's some missing data on parents' incomes, a bit less than 10%, and scattered missing data on other variables here and there. So we use, uh, we use multiple imputations used with chained equations, the CIS scheme and STATA, to impute those. We've got five imputations for those. Um, and then there are about 50 cases uh, in the period of deaths, in the period before 1975, out of a total of just a couple of hundred deaths, uh, for, for whom we do not have the exact date. Uh, and for those cases, I'm not going to go into the details, we, we used a, a Weibull uh, function to impute cause of death. So now we've got five more imputations on top of the original five imputations. So what I'm going to show you is based on averages across 25 imputations uh, of the data. The, uh, the, um, the stuff about date of death doesn't really make any difference. Uh, and I'll, I can show you that. I'll, you'll, you'll see why later on. So we have a bunch of models also estimated using the Weibull. Um, first looking at gender and IQ alone, then gender, IQ, and social background, um, those two variables, parents' income and farm origin, then adding high school rank, and then adding education. And then there's a last one I'm not really going to talk about, um, uh, which leaves out high school rank but puts in educational attainment. So first, let's just look at gender, IQ, and mortality. Um, this is typical of a bunch of stuff I'm going to show you. Um, the colors are not coming through here, which is very bad. They're very bright on my screen. Uh, would it help if we turn down the lights? Because this is really tough to see, I'm sure. They all look like they're pretty much the same color, right? 
Um, try to give you an idea. The two center lines here No. There it is. Oh, it's tiny. Okay, the two center lines these these are hazards. Okay. Um, um, and it's hazards. Uh, the scale at the bottom goes from 0 to 50, uh, a little over 50. That's the years of exposure since high school graduation that we've been able to measure thus far. All right, uh, and then the uh, the ordinate here is uh, boy, that's terrible. Uh, this was a giveaway. Um, yeah, the ordinate here is um, is uh, is the hazard is the size of the hazard, which is always pretty low here. Um, and the two center lines refer respectively to low IQ. That's the dashed line, uh, and high IQ. <coughs> Okay, so you can see there's a difference by IQ and the hazard function that, uh, that uh, people uh, uh, at every age, at least according to the estimates in this model, uh, people with higher IQs are better off. What do I mean by low IQ and high IQ? I did this by, by fifths of the distribution. So this is the contrast. Those two lines reflect the contrast between the highest 20% and the lowest 20% in measured IQ in high school. Okay. Uh, and just as a, as a way of uh, gauging the, the size and import of this effect, uh, here's men, that's the upper line, and here are women, the lower line. And it's pretty obvious that the difference between men and women dwarfs, the, it's about three times larger uh, than the difference between uh, the highest 20% in IQ and the lowest 20% in IQ. So there's, there's certainly an IQ effect here, but uh, it's dwarfed by another very uh, obvious uh, contrast in mortality. Um, here's the cumulative hazard function. It's just it's, it's just a different function. It's just the same thing, showing the number, basically the the, the, the share of the population that's died off, um, and exactly the same story holds. Um, here's the explanation. Can you see that? <laughs> Um, the, the story is worth a thousand, uh, ten thousand numbers. Uh, a good picture is worth ten thousand numbers. Um, and here are the different. Here's the effect of IQ on expectation of life over the same fifty-year period. And what you see is that it's negligible. But the answer, the reason for that is that not a whole lot of people have died in this cohort yet. Um, uh, so perhaps you shouldn't be take this too seriously. But at least at, over across these ages, even with these uh, very you know seemingly substantial and highly statistically significant differences, uh, this is not earth shattering in terms of expectation of life, uh, which is uh, demographers' uh, ultimate measure of uh, of uh, of the force of mortality, and. Here's the same thing for gender, uh, and you can see it's a little bit uh, larger, but it's still not it's still not overwhelming over this period from uh, roughly age uh, age 18 to age uh, uh, to age 69 or so. Here's a here's a measure that again exactly the same storyline, 
uh, just to get you used to this, and this is the one I'm going to use from now on, is these ratios. This is the ratio of the years that actually have been lived in each period and at each exposure to the maximum possible, that is to say, the number of years that would be lived if there were absolutely no mortality. Um, and again, you get the same uh, the same effect that we saw before. Um, there certainly is an effect of IQ. That's the difference between this line and this line. But uh, the effect of gender is much much larger. Okay. This is with no other covariates in the model. So, uh, are these? You might ask whether these findings are typical, uh, and and the answer is not actually. Um, they're a bit smaller than in, in some of the uh, some of the rest. Quite uh, actually, about half the, as large as in some of the other uh, literature to which I uh, alluded. In the WLS controlling gender alone, a one standard deviation change in IQ is associated with an eight percent chance in the odds of death from age eighteen to sixty nine, and it's six point seven percent among men and ten percent among women. It's larger among women than among men. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the effects of IQ are smaller than most other studies. Actually, there's one famous study where it's not uh, smaller in the WLS, and that's uh, one from here, the famous uh, cohort study of uh, uh, the births in 1946 uh, that was started by Mr. Douglas and maintained now by uh, Michael... Hmm? Michael Wadsworth, right. Um, but then uh, the first of these other studies uh, is uh, showed a 14.8% change. That was a study of about 3,011 year olds in Aberdeen, Scotland, who were followed uh, from age 11 to age 76, a wider age range. You've got a bigger difference. Um, and, um, and again, the effect was bigger among women than among men. And then there are other, uh, a slew of other studies, most of which uh, show larger effects uh, than the WLS. And so the question is why? Uh, whoops. Um, and there are two reasons. One is possibly that there's a restriction of range uh, in the WLS simply because it's, it's limited to high school graduates and there must be some selection on intelligence before these people reach high school graduation. Although, trust me, there are a lot of people who are very low functioning within the WLS cohort uh, who are being studied uh, uh, intensively. So, um, how should I put it? Uh, back in those days, um, um, uh, people who were really not too swift would get kind of carried along, and they would graduate from high school in these small communities around the state. Um, so the selection was not as strong as you might suspect it would be today, say, in today's urban environments. Um, um, the other thing is that that makes the WLS different from uh, all but almost all of these other studies is the rate of coverage, uh, and um, and uh, our suspicion, or at least Alberto's suspicion, I'll blame this on him, is that um, is that the higher the almost complete coverage that we have in the WLS cohort actually dampens the differential relative to what you would get if you lost 20 to 25 percent of the people, which is more typical of these other studies. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not too confident of that. So, uh, but anyway, that's but there certainly is a differential in the WLS. Um, and here's a here's a, here's the uh, the sort of key uh, interpretation that's been offered. Uh, uh, this is a piece of, uh, uh, where Godfredson and Deary joined forces. 
Cognitive skill in dealing with novel situations is key to a central role of IQ in relation to health and survival. Intelligence enhances individuals' care of their own health because it re represents learning, reasoning, and problem-solving skills useful in preventing chronic disease and accidental injury and in adhering to complex tr treatment regimens. That is to say, you really have to be smart right on the spot all throughout your life in order to survive. Okay? So now we're going to talk about class rank or high school grades. Here's the, now we've added class rank to the equation and here are the same cumulative hazard functions and social background is in here as well and I'll tell you a little bit more about social background effects later on. It's sufficient to say that social background alone does not account for the effects of IQ. IQ stands out pretty well but there are social background effects um, this is the effect of IQ on the cumulative hazard. This is the effect of high school rank. High school rank absolutely dominates IQ. That is to say, what we've got here is a variable rather at a, obtained at a, uh, at, you know, sort of determined um, at about the same stage of the life course as this measure of IQ. It's cumulative over the high school years. Sorry, those estimated simultaneously. Yes, this is estimated simultaneously, right. So this is the effect of high school rank, net of IQ. Those effect, the effect of IQ is in the right direction still. Uh, the hazard is higher for low IQ than low IQ people, but it's no longer statistically significant, even between the highest and lowest uh, 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 fifths of the IQ distribution. Um, and it's absolutely dominated by high school rank, which has a much larger effect than the zero order effect of IQ. In fact, it's about twice as large. So, and we'll talk in a little bit about what, what that means, but let's look at some other covariates first. Here's the expectation, or the, here's the expectation of life. Again, the differences are not large, but you can see there's the, basically for IQ, there's only one line. There's essentially no effect now of IQ on expectation of life. All the action, such as there is an expectation of life, is in, um, is in high school rank. Uh, and here's this ratio of years lived to the maximum possible. Again, uh, the, these extreme lines are the high school rank effects. They totally dominate the effects of IQ. Sorry. And here's farm background. Uh, this one actually, there, there are these two lines, um, um, farm background and high IQ are basically co completely collinear. But then here's low IQ and, uh, I'm sorry, this is, yeah, non-farm background and, 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 and high IQ are, com are, are completely conflated here. Here's low IQ, and here's farm background. Okay, so the effect of farm background is again totally dominates that of, of of IQ, and this is again in the equation that has social background, IQ, high school rank, and gender in it. Um, and then here, whoops, did I show the wrong? Oh, sorry, this was income. I'm, I'm, I'm the, I jumped ahead. I'm sorry, this is income. So the income effect between the top and bottom fifths of the income distribution, I'm sorry, is, is much larger than the effect of IQ. I had this, I'm, I was skipping ahead. Here's the non-farm uh, non thing. And here's, here's the, uh, 
uh, non-farm farm appears at IQ. So all of these other covariates absolutely dominate uh, the effect of IQ in the WLS. Um, and then here's gender again. It's exactly the same as before. Net of everything else, um, um, uh, gender dominates IQ. So we've got a variable, high school rank, which totally dominates the effect of IQ. Uh, and in fact, all the other covariates in, this, in these models have larger effects than even this extreme comparison of, of positions in the IQ distribution. Um, the next thing that I need to worry about in this, uh, and because I'm trying to anticipate what Godfrey Sundari and company might have to say, is, well, is high school rank just another measure of IQ? Is it better because it's cumulative? Um, uh, and the answer is no. Um, for one thing, the relationship between those two variables is, is certainly moderate, but it is not all that strong. The simple correlation is 0.6. Uh, this, is a, this is a scatter plot of their relationship, and you can see that um, with IQ on the abscissa and high school rank on the ordinate, and these two things have been standardized in a way. They're, they've been expressed as percentiles and then, and then uh, transformed into... Um, um, uh, ordinance of the uh, of the, uh, the 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 unit normal distribution, um, so uh, so that they're in the same metric, and you can see that there's tremendous variation in high school rank within any particular level of of, of IQ. Uh, so there's lots of variation there. Um, um, they're not the same variable by any stretch of the imagination. So we might ask whether IQ has a strong effect at some levels of high school rank. So what I've done, in uh, the data are getting a little thin now, is to take a look at the at thirds of the distribution of high school rank. The bottom third, the middle third, the top third. In the bottom third, there are no significant differences in the effects uh, 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 of IQ except there's a larger hazard in the top fifth of the, of the distribution than in the bottom dis fifth of the distribution. That is to say, smarter in the lowest part of the grade distribution, the smarter you are, the more likely you are to die early. This runs completely counter to the, to the main idea in this literature. In the middle third, there are no significant differences by IQ, and in the top third, there are no significant differences. But actually, in the top third of high school rank, every IQ category except uh, has a higher hazard, sorry, every IQ category above the bottom has a higher hazard than the bottom category in IQ. It's not just this, this, this wrong direction of the contrast is not just true uh, with respect to the extremes of the IQ distribution, but even with the inter and even at intermediate levels of, uh, of intelligence, if you will. Uh, and here's an example. Um, what you saw in every other graph up to this point was that the dotted lines were always below the solid lines, right? And now you've got a reversal here. So this is the this is the bottom. Uh, this this is sort of cute. I mean, you could come up with sort of a cute storyline about this particular finding. These are the guys who are these are the people who are really underachievers. They're wild guys. They're smart, but they do wild and crazy things, and they get themselves killed early. Okay, um, um, but in fact. The same thing holds at every, and watch the, these, I've got these scaled on the, same, uh, on the same axis. Watch what happens in the next two graphics. These are the, these are the hazards, or see, the, these are the ratios uh, in, the, in, in the next, in the, in, across the different thirds of the IQ distribution. 
sorry, a cross the different thirds of the high school rank distribution. Uh, and what you see, whoops, what you see is that the ratios of, of lives of years lived to the maximum possible goes up as you go the grade distribution, but the IQ effects are reversed in uh, relative to what you would expect from this theory uh, it, in every level of the high school rank distribution. So there's 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 just there's there's nothing more to IQ in this context than its effect on this one variable that is about you know, that is sort of determined also determined very early in life. Uh, and we'll get on with interpretation in a minute. Okay. What about gender? Are there any gender differences in this? We've run these models separately by gender, and yes, there is a big gender difference. Um, a farm background has a much larger beneficial effect among women than among men, and I said that wrong before. Farm background has is blundered. Uh, farm background increases longevity, doesn't decrease longevity, and I just blew it in the way I was talking about it before, so I apologize again. Um, this stuff is hot off the press. Um, so farm background has a much larger beneficial effect among women than among men. And that happens, I've also looked at this by at specific ages, and what happens is that farm boys do manage to kill themselves off when they're quite young. Uh, and then for older, um, uh, above the age of 35, farm background is beneficial to men as well as to women. Uh, but there is this one peculiar, I don't know, they're falling off tractors, they're running cars into trees or something like that. That's regardless of their IQ level. What? Yes, 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 that's regardless of their IQ level. Yes. Um, um, okay, so do these findings hold at all ages? Um, we haven't gotten very fancy with this yet, but all I've done is to look at conditional logistic models of deaths at certain age ranges, 18 to 36. It says 27 to 54, but it should be 37 to 54 and 55 to 70. And the same pattern holds uh, that I've been showing you at every age, except for this one uh, uh, thing about farm background among young men. So what do we make of this? Um, high school rank is determined in young adulthood, just as our IQ is a measure of cognitive functioning in young adulthood. What that means is that you don't have to go beyond young adulthood to find an explanation of the IQ differential in mortality. So what does high school rank tell you net of IQ? It tells you that you are doing well in terms of high school grades means you're conscientious, you're organized, you know to do the right thing in the right way in the right time and place. It's not basic smarts, it's organization and to some degree certainly conformity. It's normative behavior. Um, now this literature is filled with statements about the effect that other variables that seem to mediate the effects of IQ are just quote surrogates or proxies and those are the words that they use to describe this. Here's a couple of items. Education may be a proxy for IQ. Uh, uh, there's a little qualification of it there, but that's the main, the main line. Uh, adjusting for education and social class of the Intelligence Mortality Association could be an over-adjustment. It might weed out some of the very influence of intelligence that we're trying to detect. Okay. Uh, successively better service for G, that's the 
G factor or a general intelligence factor. Income, occupation, education, health literacy are successively stronger correlates of health outcomes. Analyses of the job of being a patient show that it requires the same cognitive skills that G represents and that most jobs require for good performance, efficient learning, reasoning, and problem solving. Uh, one more. Whoops. Uh, instead of IQ being a proxy for SES in health matters, SES measures might be operating primarily as rough proxies uh, for social class differences in mental rather than material resources. So this goes on and on in an effort to discredit <coughs> social and economic explanations of health inequalities. Uh, so what's the question? Does this make any sense? And the answer is no, it really doesn't make any sense at all. Um, to be sure, you could say that cognitive ability affects the mediating variables that follow it in a sensible causal ordering of things that happened in the course of people's lives. In that sense, the effects of IQ are what they are. But the important issue is, so how does that happen? Okay. Um, in addition to reflecting IQ, these other variables, the other content, the content of these other variables leads them to affect mortality directly. And that other content, by construction, is not intelligence. So it's not cognition that's doing that, even though these other variables that mediate the effects of cognition um, um, do, in fact, mediate, do, in fact, to some degree, reflect the effects of, 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 of intelligence. Um, oh, I managed to skip couple of stories. This is the story of, to make that last point clear, this is the story of the models that I showed you today. Basically, it says you've got social background, IQ, and gender. All of those variables affect high school rank. Gender continues to affect mortality. So, by the way, does social background. I left that one out. Uh, but that's not a big part of the story here. And the main part of the story here is that high school rank then affects mortality. So what is it about high school rank that's really interesting is the non-intellective part of it, the part that has to do with organization, with conscientiousness, with uh, doing things at the right in the right way at the right time. And that's what's uncorrelated with IQ and social background and gender by construction in this kind of a model. Okay. Um, what's that? the surrogacy story, if it were true, would involve a model that looks like this. It would say, to be sure, these other variables affect high school rank. But if high school rank is just a proxy measure of IQ, then high school rank won't affect mortality at all. The real action here is in IQ. But that isn't what the data tell us. The data tell us that the model, um, whoops, the data tell us that the model works like this. So the notion of proxy and surrogacy just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't wash. Uh, and it's the last resort of the folks in this uh, line who are mostly engaged in this line of work. Um, so, what else do we have to do? Uh, what about the, the next interesting question is, how does high school rank work? Uh, we, 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 we've answered a question, how does IQ work, uh, in some sense, at least in this set of data, uh, but how does, how does class rank work? That's the next interesting question. Does it work through education? I'm not going to show you any more graphics now, but the short answer is no. 
education has an effect. It slightly dampens the effect of high school rank, but by no means wipes it out. It, it reduces it by about 20%. Also reduces the effect of um, parents' income by about 20%. But both of those effects and the effect of farm background and the effect of gender are still there when you put education into the equation. The other uh, aspect of this that's really interesting and that, uh, that has been suggested by um, especially, uh, what should I say, my, my, my collaborator uh, uh, Alberto is especially interested in trying to show that a lot of this has to do with risk-taking behavior. Okay, uh, Remember I referred before to uh, quitting smoking. Uh, so I've run a little equation uh, to look at um, uh, duration of smoking among people who ever smoke, which is a large uh, majority of this cohort. Um, if you put IQ in, um, there's, a negative uh, the, there's a negative relationship. That is to say, the smarter you are, the less time you actually smoke. When you put uh, high school rank into that, into that equation, the effect of IQ disappears completely, uh, and the effect of high school rank is about twice that of, uh, of IQ in the equation that includes IQ alone. So it's exactly the same story that I told you about mortality. Um, if you look at uh, one of the things we did is a little inventory of negative symptoms of alcohol use. Exactly the same story is true of that. Um, but there are other aspects of health that I've looked at rather uh, in a rather preliminary way where this does not hold up. So I'm, uh, I'm a bit confused at the moment about how to go forward. There are some behaviors where this seems to work, the same storyline seems, uh, seems to work pretty well, but others where it does not work pretty well. Uh, there are issues about personality. Unfortunately, we didn't measure personality until people were 53 years old, so we don't have an early personality measure uh, to go by. Uh, and there are various self-care measures that we'll also be able to use, things like whether women had mammograms, whether men had prostate exams. And I haven't looked at those yet. Uh, do effects change across age ranges? Well, I've already showed you a kind of a preliminary look at that, which says that there's this one thing involving foreign background, but, but nothing else matters very much. There are much more sophisticated ways of doing that, and we haven't done that yet. Are there genetic sources of differences in IQ uh, and class rank that ought to be brought into this picture? Uh, what I haven't mentioned thus far, and I am going to quit in about a minute, uh, what I haven't mentioned thus far is that um, we have DNA. Uh, we have DNA for about um, about two-thirds of the graduates, and we're actually going to be collecting more of it uh, when we go back into the field again next spring. Um, and there are some of the assays that we've already done uh, pertain to genes that at least some people think are related to uh, intelligence and others that are related to other aspects of uh, health in later life. Uh, and uh, so we will try to take a look and see whether those uh, help to explain any of the relationships that we're looking at. But the big question, I think, at this point, relative to this literature that I started by describing, uh, is whether it's possible to test these, these same relationships in any of the other bodies of data uh, where people have looked at the relationship between uh, early uh, measured intelligence uh, and later mortality. I expect that you probably, I think, I hope, that it could be done within the, uh, the longitudinal, the, life, the uh, 
the, the British birth cohort studies, uh, that they must have gr uh, uh, evidence about performance in school as well as the test scores that have been used widely in, in research using those data. Uh, so I, I hope and trust that uh, someone will pick that up uh, and, uh, and look there. But uh, my guess is that in many of the studies that have thus far contributed to this literature, um, there is kind of a void of appropriate measures that might be used to test the finding that we have in the Wisconsin Longitudinal Study. So that is the end of my story, I think. Great. Thank you very much. Time for questions and comments.